You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by The Hartford. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Small Biz Ahead, the small business podcast presented by The Hartford. This is John Adekonis, and I am joined with two special guests today, Mina Kunlo-Sitep and Jacqueline Snyder, co-founders of the online educational platform and podcast, The Product Boss. Ladies, how are you doing today? We're great. Thanks for having us on, John. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I'm excited to to jump into the conversation. So as our listeners know, we talk a lot um, with different business owners, different experts, and predominantly around how folks can kind of manage and grow their business. But I would say uh, humbly that we probably overserve those who are in service-based businesses, as I think a lot of the category does. And I'm super excited to have you two with us today because you focus on what I think is probably the larger set of businesses I encounter, at least out there, which are people who sell physical products um, or maybe digital products, but they're selling something besides just what they do in themselves. And this has been an interesting couple of years, especially for those folks, you know, who maybe started in the beginning of the pandemic with still inventory and a way to kind of digitally activate, but then kind of saw the back tail impact of things like inflation and product shortages. And how do I kind of bring my product to bear? So really jazz to kind of understand your perspective on that and, and things people can maybe do to kind of think through that as we face kind of the, the long tail impacts. But first, um, you know, I'd love to hear about both of you as individuals, a little bit about your kind of journey to entrepreneurism and, and kind of how you partnered up to, to bring the product boss to life. Well, thank you for having us and thank you for asking. So, you know, both Mina and I, and this is Jacqueline, everyone. So both Mina and I are first generation Americans. Um, we were really, we, our families came to this country in different ways, but we were really kind of taught from a very early age that, you know, whether you call it the American dream or you can make money out of nothing. I think that is a, something that we learned very quickly that you could start over and you could just start. And um, I think that's maybe what led the two of us into entrepreneurship. Um, I was raised by entrepreneurs. Mina was not, but the idea of, of kind of like hitting our own destinies and the choice there. And so we're both from big families. We have lots of siblings. Um, and we're definitely, I think we've kind of been leaders within our families as well. So my background is as a fashion designer. I um, went to Otis College of Art and Design, became a designer, worked right out of school for some big companies, and then was sort of given an opportunity by my parents uh, where, you know, initially they let, they I say let me, but I was at a UC and let me transfer to art school, right? So it was that ability to kind of do something that was out of the norm um, in the arts. And then as a designer, I, back in 2007, started my company, which is Designer Consulting Co-op, where I consult startups. So I basically design, develop, produce, and start up fashion brands, so apparel and accessories. And I launched, you know, over a thousand different brands. I like to say 999 more than most people from startup. And so I, in that time, I also had my own line and accessories line. And um, that's actually what brought Mina and I together. So I'll let her get into her story. And then we can kind of tell you how the two of us found each other, because exactly what you said about this podcast, very much so in entrepreneurship, we feel alone. And there is a lot of support for service. But for physical product based businesses, there wasn't that support. So when we found each other, we're like, "Ooh, we speak the same love language of inventory and shipping. You want to be my best friend? And so Yay, that's kind of how that went. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and for me, you know, I didn't start off in physical products at all. I do. We each have our own um, other business. For example, outside of the product boss, Jacqueline has designer consulting co-op where she just talked about how she got into consultancy. My path 
path was very much a formal, you know, lead up to education. My parents came here. They knew they wanted me to go to college. They knew they wanted me to marry well. (laughs) Basically a very traditional um, upbringing. And so it was very unlikely for me to, um, very uncommon for me to go into a creative mode. Um, But I was always creative. So I, you know, I think that's one thing I learned. I can make money from from anything, from nothing really. And I learned that from my parents, hard work will get you anywhere, but you have to be the one that puts in the hard work and you have to be scrappy and creative and resourceful getting there. When I was growing up, it was go and get your degree. So I do have my master's of business administration. I have my undergrad in um, advertising and psychology, but innately, I knew that I wanted something different than that. I wanted to control being a leader in my own life, like being creative, getting to create something. And that's what really, you know, through all these things that I was a graphic designer for corporations. Actually, that's where I started with my degrees. I ended up going into um, like overflow agency work for creative annual reports and um, print collateral. So back then, maybe the youngins don't remember, but there was a lot of print collateral that would come out. And that was kind of how I came up was in um, annual reports, newsletters, um, you know, actual physical ones. And as I started having children, I realized that I would get really burnt out at in the middle of the night because I would be a night owl cranking away on my computer. And then eventually I became pregnant with my second daughter. And this was somewhere, you know, I had started my entrepreneurial journey. Um, I got my MBA in 2004 and I um, started doing graphic design freelance. And that's where I really started with. And I picked up a big roster of clients. And then I had my first daughter in 2010. And then in 2015, I was pregnant with my second child and I thought I cannot make another newsletter, you know, how you get to that point, even as an entrepreneur. And I thought I can't do it. And so I ended up developing my own labels company. It's called Low Labels. And then I started figuring out how to sell on Amazon. And then, you know, it's like the stars really aligned for me. Well, first I sent in the wrong adhesive. So the stars were not aligned at that point yet. Um, But I knew I wanted to start something else and I knew I could do it with my skills that I had. And as an entrepreneur, I put in my entrepreneur hand and I thought, what can I create? Well, I know a lot about commercial printing because of my annual reports and that sort of thing. And I figured out how to do washable adhesive for baby bottles and that sort of thing. And I was pregnant with my own child Five years later, after you know my first child, I thought nobody has figured this out yet. I can figure this out. So I figured it out. Put it on Amazon again. Wrong adhesive the first run. So we all make mistakes, right? And then I pulled the inventory, got it back on, and miraculously, that happened right before the very first Prime Day. And so that really kicked off my business. And then I was able to have that business. Jacqueline and I will circle back to the story of how we met. We ended up meeting um, a couple years later and we happened to have children the same age at that time. And we are in the very similar personal season of business, but we came up the same way. So somehow we came, we converge our, you know, the stars aligned at that that point too, for us to meet um, because we met on the World Wide Web, essentially. Which is so. www. No. <laughs> <laughs> was it an AI like an AOL chat room? Yeah, right. No. That's how old we are. No, that wasn't. No, um, it was. So what's interesting and like being on a podcast right now, and and so those of you that are listening, it was a podcast that we both listened to for female CEO um, entrepreneurs, like six figures. Um, the podcaster mentioned Mina and said, you know, Mina, I think had had a strategy session with her and she's like, you know, Mina has this huge business on Amazon. And if she ever wanted to be an Amazon coach, she could be. And meanwhile, Mina's like, I will never be so 
one's coach. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't pay me enough to get back into client work was what I thought at that time. <laughs> Four and a half years later, we'll get into that. But no, um, so, you know, we were in this uh, Facebook group for this community and I found her on there and I no, I don't typically reach out to people to be 100% honest. And so I reached out and I was like, hey, I have this product that I've created that I want to liquidate thinking about Amazon because Amazon's this whole new world that reaches so many people. And so she was generous enough to offer me at like a, online coffee chat. And then we just got along and hit hit it off. Now, just so everybody knows, I was living in LA. I was bi-coastal between LA and New York and Mina lives in Iowa. So our whole relationship, including this beautiful business we've built has really been online um, pre-pandemic, right? So uh, she jumped on and then we started chatting with each other. Just like I would drive to downtown LA. I'd be in forever traffic. She'd be talking to me. We'd leave each other voice notes on this one app that we use. And um, unlimited access to everything. Which and we realized I, that there was a 15 minute limit on to how long range. you could speak. Cause that's what we would leave up like a 15 minute monologue and then stop. And then she would reply okay. with a 15 minute. You would use this um, app called Voxer, which is a walkie talkie app. So we were starting to get to know each other more and became very fast friends doing, not having phone calls, but having walkie talkie access to each other. <laughs> which sort of led to being ideal podcasters really. <laughs> Awesome. So, um, yeah, so we, we just vibed. And so what we started talking about, because I was coaching, consulting and designing for product-based businesses, she had her own. I came from a traditional manufacturing world, like traditional manufacturing in Los Angeles and overseas, um, wholesale. Mina had come out with her business where she also manufactures. So neither of us are traditionally makers. She was uh, manufacturing for herself domestically and then shipping on what we used to call was like the new new platform. So Amazon was new. Uh, subscription boxes, flash deal sites, that kind of thing. So we kind of combined our powers um, and we started chatting and we were like, yeah, people just don't ever talk about inventory. Or when you listen to these online business um, podcasts, they were saying, you know, how to grow your email list, get an opt-in, give them this download. And we're like, that doesn't make sense for product. So as we started going back and forth about it, I was speaking at um, the LA Textile Show and they asked me to put together a panel. And so I invited Mina to be the speaker on Amazon. She flies out to LA. It's the first time we're ever going to meet, but we're staying in an Airbnb together. And then I was like, Hey, should we sell a mastermind at the end and like kind of go into business together? And she's like, sure. And so that's literally the beginning of this business where the first time we ever met, we also made money and, mm -hmm. um, it's and been we like literally like 50 people in the room that we talked about doing multiple streams of income. And we were like, if you want to be in a virtual mastermind with us, meet us out in the hallway. <laughs> Yeah. So we're like PayPal <laughs> clipboard, meet me out the hallway. I'll do a PayPal transaction for your deposit. And we got nine businesses to sign up out of those 50 people. So we knew that we weren't the only ones that felt really lonely and unguided and love to, you know, mastermind together um, in the product sphere. So that really solidified for us that we have this audience of people that feels lonely as well and loves to talk product business. And then months later was when we started the, the podcast and now the, the podcast. So we're talking 2018. How many years has it been? I'm going to do the four and a half years. And now we're almost at 3 million downloads. Awesome. So that's incredible. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, tell me a little bit more about the product boss. So that was kind of the genesis of this idea of people need support and help and education yeah. and and you had some information and insight to give. And today you're you're a fully fledged business and online destination and content channel and shopping yep. guide and, and everything else. So um, so what is it really that the product boss kind of does in, in the current day? 
So we, like we say, we're an online education company. So our goal is to help physical, physical goods. So physical product-based business owners, people who have to manufacture or they're makers and they're sitting with inventory and they're shipping it to retailers or direct to consumer um, because it's a different world there, right? So mm-hmm. both- And they're and- primarily small businesses that are started from living rooms by women. Um, we tend to attract obviously who we are. So women who are starting- empires out of their garages, their basements, and they are bootstrapped. So that mm-hmm. is really what we focus on is organic growth. Um, and our audience is global, but um, primarily women that are bootstrapped. Yeah. And all the guys and those and people in general that are out there that listen to us, we so appreciate it. So, but the thing is, is that what we believe in is both of us are bootstrapped. We believe in kind of taking our creative abilities, seeing a, you know a place in the world that we can fill it with, uh, with our product. And so we help them think think kind of higher level, right? A lot of people end up in small business, but maybe they didn't have a business degree. They don't feel equipped as business owners. Maybe they lean more to creative than business. And so it's really that idea of like, what are the baseline things that they can do and understand? So we really help them with their systems and operations, their visibility and marketing and their growth in terms of sales and scaling. And so that's a lot of what we teach. And then we also though, there's a big mindset component. So we also work with multi-million um you know, to eight figure businesses as well in our, in our high-end mastermind. And that part is where they've grown it to a certain point, but now it's time for them to really level up the CEO and not do all the grunt work. Right. So a lot of that comes into the mindset around hiring, building out teams. Um, the biggest conversation we have is, can you take a day off and actually do something for yourself? Like go on vacation or stay in bed and watch Netflix all day. And that's probably one of the hardest things that they get to when they've worked so hard and have, you know, a multi-million dollar business with a team that can handle a lot. They're still doing the same thing they did when they were grinding away, getting it to, you know, their first six figures. So we really um, are a holistic business of education, support, community. We just want people to know that they can make the life that they dream of and the vehicle there is with their business, right? It's for financial gain, it's stability, it's for feeling of purpose. Um, and that's what we really want to support with. That's great. And I think, you know, to that point, so I feel like there's been a rise of kind of entrepreneurship and small business ownership, especially kind of since the beginning of the pandemic. I think it's safe to say most people realize anything that they planned for or thought was guaranteed is probably not. And there was this, I think, sense of urgency to to understand how to figure it out, tap into that resourcefulness. And I don't think I've ever seen as much in my YouTube algorithm about um, how to create multiple income streams and passive income or kind of bring your idea to bear. And as much as some of that can be service or thinking creatively about how you can access other things, you know, a lot of it was, can I be a maker? Do I have a skill set? Can I can I kind of bring my idea to life? And I think that that's really exciting for folks. But then fast forward a year, now can I get the resources I need to actually manufacture, produce, and distribute? And so kind of, you know, keen on your perspective today about what you've started to see from that perspective as people who are in the product world, how has that kind of impacted folks' ability to wholesale or source and thoughts or or insights you might have there? Yeah, we've seen a lot of that. You know, there's anytime there's a some big economical thing like a pandemic or a recession or anything, there is innovation that happens. So that's the beauty of of downturn of any economy is that businesses end up 
giving you give life to them. And so we, there is a lot more talk about, you know, multiple streams of income. The way that we teach it, though, is that you take what you know that sells because the people that we tend to attract are people that want to bring something tangible to the world, something you can physically hold. And so they might have started a candle line or, you know, they're making jewelry or whatever that is. But the, what the what they are missing is usually an understanding and a grasp of up-leveling their skill sets. Where will they make the mistakes? Typically, it has to do with their skill set. So getting to know their numbers, understanding their systems, utilizing a community, to be honest, like trying to do it by yourself is very difficult. It's the most costly and most time-consuming way to do it. So we really fill that gap for them. We talk about those and we bring the community as well as the education. And so we've been seeing where while the businesses that start up in the pandemic or whatever in any economy, the ones that really uh, thrive and survive through and become sustainable and actually lead to the life that Jacqueline was talking about previously are the ones that really up-level their themselves, the ones that take that business skill set and that think about, okay, while we teach, you know, yes, multiple streams of income, it's different in that you take what works and you put it onto more sales platforms versus, you know, an, a typical mistake that, you know, a new maker, a new manufacturer makes is that I'm going to make all the things to try to catch all the people. And I'm just going to do more products and see what happens. And they do more, more, more. But if you know to skip that more, more, more of the creative, you know, pull of an entrepreneur, you do it the way that we teach. And that is you take what you already know what's working. So your best selling candle, your best selling jewelry, you create variations of them. Or but first, you start with diversification of your sales channels and diversification of your marketing channels. That's how you do it. You become known for something because those other things of doing more products might work for big box. They will not work for a small business. You know, small business has limited resources. They have limited time. They have limited money. It's really hard to use the same sort of business concept, concepts that apply towards big business and, and apply them towards small business. And then on top of it, what you see in the market a lot of times is service-based providers talking to product-based businesses, and it doesn't flip exactly how they need it to happen, especially for small business. So I think that's one of the things we're the most proud of is, is being able to take like a, a somebody who is a maker and then help them develop themselves, but develop their team and their strategy. And think in a different way where it really does apply to them as a small business. So it, when they hit those roadblocks of, like you said, perhaps, you know, raw goods supply chain or, you know, what we saw with the pandemic of, you know, other competitors coming into the industry or, you know, a sales channel shutting down like um, trade shows or, I mean, Amazon was shut down to essential items for, for a bit and, and Etsy and all those things. We're able to really, really help them because they start to understand, oh, this is how it applies towards me you know, this is how it's relevant. And then to my customer. Awesome. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think okay. you can't really um, underestimate the value of, I guess you could call it like niching down. Right. So yeah. when we mm -hmm. talk a lot, if like a marketing kind of concepts is you got to understand your target audience and that, that can't be everyone. Um, but I think what's really interesting about what you're saying too, is if you can get that one thing that does well, there's probably some element of it that you can scale or you can vary or kind of, you know, build on and, and not have to reinvent the wheel all the time. Because I think you're also really right with that kind of creative drive. Like there, there's an innate energy, I think, in any business owner or entrepreneurial spirit where it's that constant push and pull of what, what do I like to do versus yeah. what can I do? 
versus what could I do? And then way over here and what's going to make me money? And how do you kind of like find that that intersection and still say um, like fulfilled and, and energized and, and ready to take on more? We say um, save Fridays for that, right? So yeah. <laughs> Monday through Thursday, do the things that, that have a return on your investment. So, you know, we really are known for teaching about the bestseller. And we've got so many examples in the world about it. So I'll give the example of Juicy Couture. Since you were in fashion, remember the Juicy Couture tracksuit? I do. <laughs> so our young it's out back, there. By the way, John. What? I saw, yeah. It's funny. I was watching an interview with Paris Hilton and that came up the other day and she was walking around in one still and it was just a, a very nostalgic moment for me. I, uh, yes. It's like, is it 1998 <laughs> again? What yeah. year are we in? Um, so... So the tracksuit, I'm just going to bring that up because it's a really big business that has an example. So I owned denim from Juicy Couture from like 97. No one knew that they had denim pre-tracksuits, but what put them on the map was they created, they created the velour tracksuit. Obviously celebrities wore it, but let's just say like it had the J on the zipper and it was pink and these bright colors and it was a hoodie with long pants. Now they hit big with it. Celebrities wore it. People wanted to buy it. And they didn't stop. They didn't go like, okay, I'm over it. I'm now going to move on and go back to denim or t-shirts or purses and handbags and, and jewelry. They were like, well, what other variations of this tracksuit can we make? A gazillion colors, um, you know, short versions, hoodless, hoodless, <laughs> sleeveless, you know, all versions. And if you were a Juicy Couture fan, you probably had a lot of velour. And when we think about that brand and we think, okay, well, but they, but I do own a purse and I own perfume from them and I own jewelry and all the things they did. That was all once they got bought out by a huge company. That's when the market expanded. That's when they expanded the brand. And by the way, no longer, right? Like what's coming back? The tracksuit, not all the other stuff. What happens is for small businesses, especially for going into a down economy or things are costing more and there's inflation and all the things is we want you to lean into the things that you know that work. We need to double down on the things that we know people want to buy that you could be known for. So whether you're a startup business or you're a bigger business, like what do they know you for? How do you give them more of what they want and the variations of it? It's not time to then say, I'm going to go add on. I have candle company, but now I'm going to add on room sprays and, and, you know, candle, like other types of fragrance things, because it's going to cost you money for development. Um, and so if you can then instead dig in and sell more of like your number one candle and a scent in a size jar and get that onto Amazon, get it into like a bunch of retailers, sell a direct consumer, maybe get some press on it. That's the thing that's going to, we call pour gasoline on the fire of your bestseller and put you on the map. That's the thing that's going to put money in your bank account. And you save money because then when you're sourcing, you can ask for better deals right? Oh, I'm going to buy not a hundred from you. Now I need to buy 500. What's a better deal you can give me. So you're buying in bulk. So there's just so many benefits to leaning into your best sellers. Keep the creative stuff for a Friday, you know, or shelf it and really start to generate the kind of revenue you want with your best seller by diversification. Yeah. You go deep before you go wide. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good tip. And what's interesting there is kind of buried in there is I think something super relevant for today too, right? Because if you if you can kind of laser in on that one thing and start to scale that, you know, there there is the reality of people having a hard time finding raw goods right now. So mm -hmm. if you can put yourself in a position to still monetize it, like a single idea feels a little bit too um, too small, but kind of like a concept, kind of a, a smaller family of concepts, you do kind of get that opportunity to not have to worry about how do I find everything? Because you can start to kind of, you know, whether it's scale your purchases or kind of eliminate other kind of sourcing adventures. Um, right. So to focus on a couple elements that you can manufacture and distribute. 
hundred percent. I mean, that's what we really try to push um, our makers and our manufacturers, our product bosses to do is that they should try to go for the fact that 20% of their products will give them 80% of their revenue. It will yield 80% of their revenue. And let's say that supply chain hits and they can't find their best sellers glass jar, but they can use their creativity and their resourcefulness to create a small batch of variation of that, right? In a different vessel, perhaps. That's just an example of problem solving because that really is the skill set that will get them through these supply chain issues is thinking about well, how can I be creative in my marketing, still connect the dots for my customer because they will buy what I tell them to buy. People don't buy what they don't see. They don't buy what you don't tell them to buy because they have such decision fatigue. So they buy what's show, on the mannequin. They yeah, buy what's they, in the store window. Yeah. They buy what's on display. They buy what you If you send have a color display, they will definitely buy that one versus, you know, other colors or whatever bundle, but they tend to buy what they see. And if you can give them, let's say you do hit supply chain and you can't find this, this specific vessel, you get creative with it. You have a specialty limited edition item that, you know, you take most of what your bestseller is telling you because that's historical data of why most people will buy is because of some reason that they are drawn to that. It has the best stories. It has the best results. It has the best customers. All of that, uh, the best pricing, perhaps the best connection of messaging. And you create a version of that that's more limited edition until we get through the other end of when supply comes back. Because now, as you can see, for a big box who doesn't have the ability to pivot as quickly, a lot of big box hit supply chain issues, right? Like yep. Target and everything, the hit supply issues. Um, and now the influx has come in and now they actually have oversupply. So yeah, if you have a return to make, they won't take it into warehouse anymore. They will have you keep it and donate it and give you a return. So you can even start to see like, uh, you know, economical, I guess, like, consequences of, I guess, of, of the, the timing of things happening. And um, so now, yep, they won't take it back and there's oversupply, but it is dripping out obviously in different categories. And my point is that get creative with what you need to do now to have yourself sustain the amount of money you need to make for your business and, um, and use it towards that, but don't go crazy and make a whole different category just because you're hitting supply chain issues. Stick with what you know and create a variation or seasonality to it that still can hit with your customers and, and use some strong messaging to connect the dots for them. And if I can add just a, a little slight story to that is that we had a student that made candles and could not get the vessels. This is what we're talking about. And so she had found green vessels. She's like, what do I do? Do I tell them I couldn't find the clear vessels and I have to use the green vessels and promise them, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're like, no, make it a marketing moment, right? So you found the green vessels, call it a limited edition, you know, whatever, best-selling scent, limited edition jar, and she sold them. So a lot of times I think small businesses are like, do I tell them? Do I not tell them? When there's also this level of needing to order furniture and you can't get it for six months and they keep yeah. pushing it out. So I think it's the idea of getting scrappy and resourceful, which is entrepreneurs, we do raising your prices if you need to. I think retailers right now will be raising their prices about 11% to catch wow. up by the holidays. Um, that's what we're starting to see in the buying patterns of what they're buying now. And so it's going to trickle out to retail, but people are raising prices. We're paying $7 a gallon for gas in California right now, but it will swing back down the other way. Yeah, it but, actually has already started coming down in the Midwest. So yeah. obviously it gets 
LA is just going to keep charging before it gets better. It's like green juice and gas here. <laughs> <laughs> Trench coat selling gasoline, you know. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's interesting, too, as I think like your journey is kind of another way to to think about that. Right. So I do think an, another kind of I guess you could call silver lining of the pandemic in, in just the past couple of years is this renewed focus on supporting independently owned businesses and kind of the small business category. And I, I feel like to your very early point, there's this kind of sense of always needing to find community or it's hard to find people like me. But I think mm-hmm. people have been more um, in, focused on doing that. So I do wonder, too, in situations where maybe you have a top selling item, but maybe you don't have the right inventory. You know, does that kind of create these moments for open collaboration where you can actually start to cross pollinate the audiences? Right. So maybe you have another handmade vessel maker and you're the, the scent person like you could almost do like a co-branded unit if you could find someone to kind of, you know, sync up with. Hundred um, percent. We we see this with we are investors in a fully funded female um, uh, beverage company, and they're having a lot of trouble coming to market because of the supply chain issues. Right, we're like a year and a half late on on coming to market. Um, so she has actually collaborated with another one of our students who is a fragrance company and candle company, and has come out with like a rose scented inspired by what this beverage is going to be. Um, candle and perfume line. So there's still this idea of like bringing something to, now I know this is totally different than us saying go deep, not wide, but this is just a creative concept of like, how do you give something to your customer and audience if there's an issue or a collaboration or a cross promotion? That is, yes, absolutely. It is still going deep because they took their best sellers, right? Rosé Summer is what it was called. And she took her essential oil perfume. So basically it's clean perfumes. So that those are her best sellers. Um, but it's a marketing diversification. So you reach new eyes that you never would because they crossed each other's audiences at that point. But to your point, John, I think that the main thing that we have seen, and this is why it during the pandemic, our community of product bosses were really, really proud to say that they thrived, you know, of, of everybody that we saw businesses will go out of business. We know this, it's a business cycle. It's very normal, even, you know, economically for businesses to go into business, businesses to go out of business. The thing that sets most people apart is their willingness to do it together or to do it, you know, in spite of, because if you're doing it alone, there's nobody to tell you, oh my gosh, I know exactly what that feels like, or, oh my gosh, Hey, let's do something together. I'll get you through the hard times, you know? And that is really in 2020, we saw that, that, that was really the why our community thrive because we're like the way to best do this is to do it together we're going through something unprecedented really really hard we definitely have kids or neighbors or you know all these different worries you feel so isolated but if you know I like that, that neighbors else, was your worries <laughs> I don't know any of my neighbors. She says that because I'm I'm the introvert of us too, and she's the extrovert. And I'm always like my neighbors if I knew them. Um. That's funny. So I, I bought a house in October, and I I tend to be like that too. When I was in the city, I made friends with my neighbors because you'd walk in the door at the same yeah. time. But this is the first time in my life where they came. Like I was painting one day, they poked their head in the window, and I was so caught off guard because I'm who's on my porch? And I was just to say hi. You know, but now it's like if I'm traveling, they take my trash barrels in for me. Oh, so, so sweet. Yeah. Nice. So I finally have learned the joy of good neighbors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's how we formed, right? Mina and I yeah. formed because yeah. we were operating for so long independently of each other. And I was going through a rough time when I met her. And so I think that's the idea here. And I think that's the beauty of podcasts that it creates this like community. You can have someone in your earbud while you're working on things or working through things. You can resource um, finding answers to questions 
you know, and then, and then we've built community up around, um, our education because it's the hard times that you, you need it. Um, answering your question about small businesses, it's tricky because now that there's like talk of recession and money being more expensive, inflation and all the things, there is a big push for people to shop at Walmart again and like big box stores that are discounted, right? People are afraid. And so you're like, I'm not going to spend that amount with a small business. There was this flip from 2020 where like, we got to keep the small businesses in business. And we've kind of gone back to people being like, how do I stay afloat? It really is going to come down to the stories you share, to the attachment, to the really, the people who know their customers best are the ones that are going to win. And so we want everyone to make it through, which you like listen to our podcast. We have ways of making multiple streams of revenue. Like it's the product boss podcasters, like the resources you can get from podcasts like this one, especially is just so informative. But it's like you said, it's going to take diversification. It's going to take you not doing it alone. It might take, even when time's still hard and you don't have a lot of money, investing into a course, investing into an expert, investing into something that's going to up-level you because we only have so much time and money, right? And so sometimes investing the money is going to fast track that time of of succeeding and like getting ahead and, and pivoting quickly. So I think we're going to see some dips with small business, but if you can truly connect deeply with your customers, then bring them along this journey with you and have them root for you as well. We saw two things happen in the pandemic. And I think that they're going to be parallel to what's going to happen coming up in this next year is that when the pandemic hit, we had two camps, really people that did nothing and were scared and literally sat in that uncertainty and thought, I'll just wait to see what happens. Then we had our camp of people that we were like, come over here. Let's figure it out together. We don't know what to do either, but we're going to do this together and let's just take action. Even if it's imperfect action, even if it's pivoting, we're not quite sure. The action is really the difference maker. If you can be someone who takes action, meaning like what Jacqueline said, if you have to invest, you do it. If you have to create a partnership, you do it. If you have to, um, you know, like a collaboration, like what you were talking about, John, if you have to dive into listening to some podcasts, take action and that will bring the clarity that will get you through. So when, because times will get better, guaranteed they always do. And the other end of it is that, are you going to be better than when you came in or are you going to be the same and, or not be able to survive? Because the ones that did survive and thrived, to be honest, were the ones that took actions, even if they weren't perfect every time. They simply were the ones who would ask for the sale, would reach out to the customer, would survey them, would ask for, um, hey, I know you bought this. Um, would, you probably will like this. Gave suggestions. People who showed up on social media, people who did a lot of different things. But but our, to our point is that when you decide to show up, you focus on the things that you know that are going to sell. Meaning I'm not going to show up and just tell you about, you know, some random line of lotion I came up with. I'm going to come and show up and tell you the best stories about my best customers and the, the reasons why they bought the, the benefits of my products, like, but the ones that sold my best sellers, not my random one that I'm coming out with that I don't have anything against. Right. So that really is like, when you show up, you show up and you have to go harder in times than when it's, you're having supply chain issues or whatever, you have to do the marketing pushes. And that will be really what sets people apart, you know? And that's why there's like, if you see two candles next to each other and the pretty similar in pricing, what's going to set it apart? Well, it's a lot of different things like aesthetics and, 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 um, all, 
you know, brand and everything, but oftentimes it has everything to do with everything around the product, the marketing pushes, the person being like, Hey, here's the benefits, removing the obstacles and showing you, Hey, this is what's typically purchased. People love this one. They couldn't live without it. You know, it flies off the shelves. You grab it now. That is what's going to set that candle apart versus the other candle. That's great. I mean, I feel like we could talk for hours. Um, <laughs> we definitely <laughs> could. <laughs> and I think we should definitely plan a part two because I, I'd love to kind of get a little bit more insight from from you both on on some of the things you brought up today because I think there's a lot of lessons our audience would would love to hear. But I know we're we're close to time. So for the folks listening, we'll be sure to link your um your site, your podcast, and the show notes. So definitely check out their podcast. It's awesome. I've been poking around the site the past couple of weeks. There's a lot of good information on there. I am now inspired to think about how I can do some things a little bit differently. But just thank you both so much for joining us today. I think this was a really great conversation and, and really actionable advice, which is, is nice to hear. Thank you. And we'd love to offer a free um, checklist for the product bosses that listen to the podcast. So if you go to theproductboss.com slash Hartford, um, we're going to have the product bosses guide to getting holiday ready checklist. So it's really going to help sort of navigate the holidays. It's a time that we really dig into supporting. And beyond, really. Yeah. And it's a time that we really dig into supporting and giving back to the community as they're sort of navigating the busiest time of year. So um, yeah, and we're at our podcast at the product boss. So, uh, you know, jump back and forth between the podcast because we're here for you. Awesome. Well, Mina, Jacqueline, thank you so much for spending the afternoon with us. Um, you know, for everyone out there listening, thank you so much. We wouldn't be here without you. And, you know, make sure you catch us on the next one at sba.theheartford.com. You can check out the blog for more insights and advice and make sure you check out theproductboss.com to see more about the great work that Mina and Jacqueline are doing. Uh, maybe you register for a class, check out their podcast and have a great day. Mm-hmm.